0: Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 12, John chapter 12. And before we dive in, would you join me um, just in a word of prayer? Let's give God these next few moments together and and allow his Holy Spirit to lead and guide us this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word. And God, we thank you for the gift that you gave of your son so that we might have salvation. And so that we could be redeemed, purchased with a price, but not our price, yours, because you gave up him, your son. And Father, I pray that uh, today as we dive into this um, just amazing story about someone uh, who gave something to you, God, I pray that we would be moved in our lives to find that thing or those things that we truly need to give over to you that. may may be valuable to us, and it may even seem unreasonable right now in this moment. God, I pray that you would allow us to be changed, not by anything that I do or say, but by your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit lead and guide us this morning as we continue in this series called Give This Christmas Away. God, may we give ourselves fully and totally to you so that we can give this Christmas away. To others In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, How many of you have already this year or will uh, over the course of the next few weeks be involved in some kind of white elephant like Christmas exchange? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Oh my gosh, really? Really? Okay, yeah. Okay, be honest. Okay, (laughs) like um, how how many of you played that before at a Christmas party, right? Raise your hand. I heard of one guy um, that said that like um, at, at his home with a bunch of friends and family members and that sort of thing that they would play this and there were like 30 people involved and they took it really seriously. And it was so long, it took like three hours that they would take breaks in the middle of their like white elephant, like I think it's also called Dirty Santa, but we won't go there because it's church. Okay. So anyway, and uh, so they would take breaks. It, It took forever. And so when Cynthia and I were uh, first married, and of course every party you go to, it seems like they have some version of this game where you, you have a gift exchange and you have one nice gift and, and one you know really crummy gift, right? And uh, you, you then you have trades that you make and you have three rounds and it's a lot of fun and it really, really shows how horrible people are. Uh, so anyway, if you want to know how bad your coworkers are, uh, play this game. So anyway, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, so my friends um, and I from high school, um, when we all first got married, uh, shortly after Cynthia and I got married uh, in 1995, uh, we began to uh, have a couples party, and um, we would go over, to, we all lived in the Atlanta area, and we would go over to one person's house this year, and you know another one's next year, and so on and so forth. And we had a lot of fun, and, and my friend Brian Glaze, who's my best friend, um, is just a, a bigger-than-life guy. He's gregarious. He's outgoing. Um, he is a, a guy that, like, really is serious, uh, and, and uh, he's a lot of fun. I taught him how to play golf, and now he's a lot better than me, and that makes me mad. But that's all right. I'll deal with that some other time in my life. Uh, anyway, Brian's a great friend. He's a good guy. He's one of those guys that, like, really is a good friend because he, he will call you on stuff when he sees something in your life that, you know, might be questionable, and so he's a great friend, and we've been good friends over the years and have gone through periods of time uh, when we were accountability partners, and um, his faith is strong, and my faith is is strong, and so we share that together. And so we used to get together, and we'd play the the white elephant exchange or game, or we'd have this, and so um, every year, the couples, these four couples, so eight people took this really seriously. Um, It was really serious. Like you brought, now you could only spend, you know, X amount of dollars. I think one year it was like five. And then, um, you know, somebody got a promotion and a raise and the next year it was 25. So the rest of us had to comply. And so, you you know, you bought like one nice gift that somebody would want, you know, maybe a, um, I remember there were like one year it was Titleist Pro V1s because we all played golf. And, you know, like a a three-pack, and then later I think it was a dozen. Um, And so, uh, you know, stuff like that. Maybe like something for the kitchen ladies that was like a really like good thing that you love to use, and it was like not something you had to, or maybe it was, uh, I don't know, a piece of jewelry uh, sometimes. It was nice. And then the bad stuff was really crummy, right? It was really bad. But it always had meaning, and it always had some kind of significance well, I remember we did this for, I think, about eight years or so while we lived in Atlanta. And I remember one year it was particularly busy in our house. Uh, Cynthia and I, both working in church in December, is just always busy. And um, we forgot about the white elephant exchange for this party. And uh, so we um, decided that we would click, quickly r- look around the house. And uh, we found some pot holders that um, were unused and uh, a, a three-pack of tea light candles that were unscented. And we threw them in one of those Christmas gift bags and drove over to Brian's house. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh man, I know my buddy well enough to know that if he finds out that this is me, I'm in trouble. Like he is going to make a big deal out of this. And so we go there and we, we have this nice time. It was a great time. And we begin the, the exchange. And so everybody begins to open their stuff and people are doing what they do every year, and that is they're bringing nice stuff for the nice gift, and it's really funny junk for the, for the bad gift. And so you, it, was, it was a great time until they came to the first lousy present that the Cullens brought, and, and that was the oven mitts or pot holders. And so I, I watched somebody, it wasn't Brian, and it wasn't his wife opening it, but somebody opened it, and, and I saw Brian out of the corner of my eye, and I kind of like heard him under his breath go, come on man, come on, like that, and we just kind of went on with the game, and a few rounds went later, and then um, somebody else opened the other gift, and I'm like, oh, man, I just can't believe this. So they opened the the non-scented, you know, white tea lights or whatever it was. It was candles, and it was a three-pack. That's what I remember for sure, but it was nothing special at all. Like, you wouldn't have wanted it at all, okay? So they opened that up, and then audibly, like not under his breath, he goes, this is ridiculous. This is just junk like that. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be great. I got to make sure that I'm not in here when he finds out it's us, right? So anyway, so uh, we get through the thing and everybody exchanges stuff. And sure enough, this is in his crawl. And he just goes, all right, who brought the junk? You know, who brought the junk? And finally I fessed up. I'm like, yeah, it was us. You know, it was us. And he walks off into the kitchen and he stares at me and he goes, hey, Cullen, next year, show some effort. <laughs> And, like, that stuck with me. So Cynthia and I, in January, took care of next year's white elephant gift exchange for our party. And uh, I love that. Just, like, show some effort, Cullen. And that has been something that we've joked about over the years. And believe me, there have been times when I've given it back to him. So anyway, so, so show some effort, Glades. But we had a good time with that. It reminds me, though, um, sometimes of how we treat uh, Jesus, how we treat the one um, who, who gave his life, who decided that he would come to this earth um, for us and give his life for salvation. I, I think that God's not a God like this, but sometimes I wonder if he looks down on us and, and just wonders why you and I don't show more effort in expressing through our lives and through what we do and what we give to him, how thankful we are that we get salvation because of what he did on the cross. You see, Christmas and Easter are inextricably linked, aren't they? The Christmas story is really the beginning of the Easter story, right? So like we started last week, the Advent season of the expectation. That's what Advent means of, of God coming to earth. But really like, if you really think about the whole story, Christmas and Easter go together because the story of God coming to earth is the beginning of the story of God dying for the forgiveness of our sins. And then if we believe and we put our trust in him, you and I, we will have eternity in heaven. Um, Five people last week decided in this room in two different services to give their life to him. Isn't that awesome? So we had five people that made the decision to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And they're going to heaven and not hell because of the decision that they made. Last week, and that's reason to celebrate, isn't it, church? Isn't that awesome? That is why we do what we do. It's the reason that we are here. And so um, when we think about the Christ child at the Christmas season, we think about the whole idea of giving Christmas away. Um, It's hard for us because we're conditioned in our culture to to be in a position of of receiving all the time. We're in a selfish position. Um, But What God did by sending his son really demands that we be in a position of thinking of what it means to give Christmas away. And so last week we began with the whole idea that we can't give until we've learned to receive. And so um, that's why we we gave the gospel message and we had five people receive that gospel message. And that's so exciting to me. But in this series, what we're doing is we're connecting the idea of the fact that God gave his son, God was the giver, his son Jesus was the gift, and he gave it for all of humanity for the redemption, for the exchange of our sins, because it's our sins that keep us from God. And so we did two things. We're going to come back to this this week. We define the word give, and we define the word gift as it relates to every instance where Jesus is described as the gift or God is described as the giver. Let's take a look at these two definitions here real quick this morning as we get started. Uh, The uh, give means to sacrifice or relinquish or to endure the loss of something precious. That's certainly what God did by giving up his son, isn't it? He sacrificed and, and gave away or relinquished or endured the loss of the thing that was most precious to him, and that's the gift, and that's the second definition. The gift is a gracious and precious present given freely with nothing expected in return. And that's what God did by giving Jesus. So we're beginning each message um, in this particular series with a a New Testament reference to the fact that Jesus was the gift and God was the giver. We're beginning this uh, week's uh, message with this verse from Romans. Last week we began with John 3.16, the most familiar verse in the Bible. This is probably second to it, and this is from Romans when Paul was writing to Rome, and we're using this as our springboard today. He said this, The wages of sin is death, but the, say that next word with me, free And say that next word with me, gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we see that God's gift to us cost him something that was valuable to him, right? Um, the, the, a gift that is not valuable um, or, or thought through or common is just really not even a gift at all in the context of what God was doing through his son, Jesus. And so it can be summed up that if he just gave something to us that was meaningless, that was common, that was ordinary, then it wouldn't have been truly a gift. But God gave up his own son. And he says, for the wages of sin is death. The death there that's described is eternal death, okay? So the wages of our sin is, is eternity in a place called hell. But here's the good news. Here's the Christmas story and the Easter story. The free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, and so we can can conclude that God's gift was a valuable gift. And I'll tell you what: there's often, in fact, most of the time, when you're talking about the gift of life, it often requires someone to die for someone else to have life. Isn't that the case often? Um, Tomorrow is the seventy fourth anniversary. Of the bombing at Pearl Harbor, and tomorrow we will remember um, the fact that there were over 2,000 uh, people, uh, most of whom on that day, December 7th, 1941, who gave up their lives um, because they were at a military base. Bases, actually, two of them: uh, there, an army base and a navy base, and they gave up their lives serving our country, and, and that drew us as as the United States into a a war that then lasted years uh, beyond that. And over 400,000 American troops, American service men and women gave up their lives so that we today can be free. And so often, often new life requires the death of someone else, Unfortunately. God understood this concept. He understood that for the sin to be taken away that he needed to give Jesus up. He needed to give something of himself up. And he gave up the greatest gift that he could. And so God's greatest gift means that God gave up the one item of greatest value to him for our salvation. It's your first point this morning. God's greatest gift means that God gave up the one item of greatest value to him for our salvation. And so in the context of Christmas, in the context of us understanding um, or or becoming a a people that are in a position to give away rather than receive gifts like our culture kind of conditions us and tells us to, um, what does that mean? Well, I, I believe it means that we should then be compelled to give something back to God of value to us, of great value to us. Um, we're going to see in this story uh, of a lady by the name of Mary that she gave something up to Jesus that was of extraordinary value to her. So we're going to take a look at this this one called Mary. And and so I want you to go ahead and kind of give you this point. Mary gave away what really essentially was perfume. And we're going to talk about that this morning and what that was and what it meant and kind of what it symbolized. But I want you to go ahead and have this point this morning. This is kind of the bottom line of what Mary did. Because I believe that Mary got the idea that, that Jesus was there to give life and that he was going to give his life so that we could have eternal life and he had already healed her brother and we'll talk about that in a moment and so mary's gratitude for jesus prompted her to give him something of great value to her mary's gratitude for jesus prompted her to give something of great value to to her uh, to him And so Mary understood what Jesus did. She understood the sacrifice that he was going to make on the cross. But she also understood that Jesus had already given life to her brother. Let's take a look at this particular passage here. Um, Jesus, by the way, is stopping in a place called Bethany. Um, Now, it's a week before Passover, and what a lot of people don't understand when they read this passage is this is actually the week before Jesus is getting ready to go on the cross to die for the sins of the world. And he's going into Jerusalem to celebrate um, the the feast and the celebration of Passover. The Jews would gather in Jerusalem during this period of time, and they would gather to remember the fact that God uh, allowed them and, and freed them from the bonds of Egyptian slavery so that they could go into the promised land and have abundant life. And so during this time in the history of Israel, the history of the Jewish people, um, they celebrated and often in most cases they would come into Jerusalem. So Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to to celebrate God giving the Jewish people freedom from the, the evil hands of the Egyptians and the slavery that the Egyptians put the Jews under. And often what would happen, especially um, with rabbis, is that they would take a few days and they would take some time to connect with God. They would take some time to make sure that they were cleansed, to make sure that they were right with God. And so Jesus decided that he would go to a familiar place with familiar people and he would stop at a home in Bethany that was owned by a man by the name of Simon. And he stopped in Bethany, which is just a little town outside of Jerusalem, just a little bit to the north and east of Jerusalem as he came into Jerusalem. And he was going to spend the next few days there in Bethany preparing himself for this holy week of Passover. And at that point in time, only he knew that during this week of Passover, he would be giving his life for all of our sins. And he knew that because he was fully man, but he was also fully God. And so Jesus is there in Bethany, and he's at the home of this man named Simon. And these people are living there, and and they're brothers and sisters. There's Mary, and there's Martha, and Lazarus. And we've seen that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. It was one of his major miracles that he performed. And so Mary and Martha are just so incredibly thankful that when Jesus arrives, um, they cook him an incredible dinner. Okay, let's take a look at this passage uh, here in uh, John chapter 12. And we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Take a look with me at John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they, talking about Lazarus and and his sisters, Mary and Martha, gave a dinner for him. Uh, Martha served And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. In that culture, they would actually um, lie down eating. They would actually lie down either with some sort of something that would prop them up or their elbow propping their head up. And they would eat reclining, kind of like your kids do, parents, okay? Like that's the way they eat, right? Yeah, my son does for sure. Okay, so, um, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with Jesus, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, who was probably there because he was the treasurer of the group, one of Jesus' disciples, and I love this part that John includes, he who was about ready to betray him, (laughs) I love that little dig that John gives to Judas. Like, this is the one that's about ready to betray him. Because remember, John's writing this after the fact. Said this in verse 5. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this. I love this part too. Another little jab that John makes at Judas. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone, leave Mary alone, Judas, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. You won't always have me. Now, at first glance, um, this really like appears to be uh, the story of a contrast between Mary and, and Judas, one who was stingy versus one who was willing to give up something. And, and that's true. And we're going to uh, focus on Judas just for a moment, but we're really going to focus on Mary. And I want to talk in detail about what she did for Jesus and what she gave up for Jesus, because there's tremendous amount of importance in this ointment, in this perfume, if, we, if you will, that she gave up for Jesus Jesus, now I love this because you often see this when you see by the way, all four Gospels give the same account, and all four Gospels give the same uh, events that happen, but they do it in a different way and it's a it 's a reflection of the personality of each writer Matthew Mark Luke, and John um, John was one who who kind of always would kind of give that like little little like i 'm going to stick it to someone who's wrong Jesus or wrong the cause, and he does that with Judas because Judas ends up uh, d- um you know, uh, betraying Jesus. And, and I love that kind of contrast that you see in there in the Gospels. But one of the things that we see over and over again when Jesus interacts with these two ladies who are very good friends of his, um, is you see Martha always working and Mary always spending time with Jesus. And then Lazarus is usually laying around just like glad he's alive. Like, hey, I'm just glad I'm here, man. I was dead. And I love that contrast there between Mary and Martha. I just picture this like, you know, they're in the middle of the meal, and the meal kind of gets over, and Martha goes, and she spends all of her time like washing the dishes, cleaning everything up, putting stuff in Tupperware, putting it back in the refrigerator, all right? And what does Mary do? Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus. Um, I I can imagine what would happen after the party's over, and these sisters like get together. Can you imagine what would happen? Like Martha's like, Mary, what'd you do that for? Come on. Like, couldn't you have at least spent five minutes in the kitchen helping me clean up? I mean, give me a break. And then Mary probably looked at her and said, why don't you just spend some time with him? He raised our brother from the dead. And and you see her in this um, really remarkably um, uh, pure but passionate way of, of communicating to the one who raised her son from the dead and the one that was coming to save her from her sins and save the world from their sins. You see her giving up something of great value. Let's talk about what it is that she gave up. She, the, the first thing it says is that she gave up a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Okay, Now, what is nard other than a funny name? Okay, It is, let's just face it. Nard is a, a topical, like essential oil. That's what we would call it today. It's an essential oil with a strong aroma, and that's why it was called perfume. That's why it gave the room uh, this strong, you know, aromatic scent. It was, you know, um, like, man, if we want something to smell better, better you know, like the, the, after Thanksgiving, the turkey's in the garbage and things start to smell a little bit, like you brought out some nard because it made the room smell great. And so she brought this out. It was a, a topical essential oil with this very, very strong a Roman, it really was something that promoted just like it, it, you know, these topical oils do today, it promoted good health, it promoted skin health and, and she begins to to put this on Jesus. It was processed from the root of a spikenard plant. Now you can get this same thing today um, if you want to. You can go to you know any place and, and pick this up, but as most things are done today it 's processed so differently and it 's grown so differently. but here 's what I want to tell you in that day and age. They had to find this plant, and they had to dig it up, and they had to find the root of this plant to process it so that they could get this very, very valuable oil. And so it came from the Spikenard plant. Now check this out. The Spikenard plant was found in that day and age in just a few locations around the world. In particular, the most common place that they would get the spikenard plant was found between 9,000 and 20,000 feet above sea level and altitude in the Himalayan mountains uh, along the border of China, what is now China and India. This was extremely difficult to access and find in that day and age. Um, Imagine, if you will, having none of the current like, tools and, and none of the current um, you know, technology to be able to go um, mountain climbing and to have to go to 9,000 to 20,000 feet to find this plant, dig it up, make sure you had the root, bring it back intact enough to be able to process it for this oil. Just to give you an idea of, of, of how high 9,000, because I'm, I'm not a mountain climber, just like I'm not a hunter. Um, my kids say that I'm a city boy, and that's fine. I am. Okay, I admit that. Um, so I, I had to look a few things up because I love geography. Um, 9,000 to 20,000 feet above sea level, just to give you some scale. All right, first of all, here on Hilton Head Island, you know the highest point on Hilton Head Island, other than the Cross Island Bridge. Is a little spot on number 12 at Hilton Head Golf Club and uh, Hilton Head uh, Country Club, and it's 28 feet above sea level. All right? Your nose might start bleeding, okay? I just, you know, it just might, okay? 28 feet. So Spikenard was like way above that, but um, it it was located beyond the highest point on the eastern coast of the United States of America. Mount Mitchell is 6,680. You wouldn't find any Spikenard at Mount Mitchell in in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, not only that, um, it was at or above Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the um, continuous United States here, um, you know, in the 48 like states here, uh, contiguous states, 14,500 feet. But it would have also been found nearly at the height of the highest point in North America, which is Denali. This was incredibly hard to find. And it begs the question, how in the world did Mary get it? Well, she probably didn't go all the way to China and India. And she probably didn't climb the Himalayas. But what she did is she probably saved up her money to purchase this nard ointment. Judas helps us to understand how incredibly expensive this perfume was. It was an extremely expensive extremely rare anointing oil and it had medicinal value. But what Judas does by saying what he does and responding the way he does is he gives us a scale of economy. And what we find out is that it would have cost 300 denarii for um, someone to buy a a little flask of this perfume. And and, and for them to, to do that would have Required them in that day and age to save up nearly one year of their full salary. Most people received one denarii a day in income during that day. You see, Mary, I want you to capture this. I say all this to explain to you that Mary gave Jesus and she broke. that ointment that, by the way, would have been sealed in a stone alabaster container um, that looked something like a jar, and it would have been very heavy. And she broke the seal, and she began to allow that to cleanse Jesus' feet. You see, Mary's gift was an extravagant, extravagant expression or act of worship. And it demonstrated the extent of her love and her devotion to the one that would be her savior. She, in response to what Jesus had already done and what he was about to do, gave him the best thing that she probably had to give. And I think that begs the question when we're talking about giving this Christmas away is what can you and I give to Jesus? What can we give to Jesus? Jesus. Well, in a large sense, it's really between you and the Lord. It's you allowing God's Holy Spirit to lead you to that point to determine what it is that you're supposed to give up that's of value to him. But I think we can kind of highlight and maybe give it an overview by this statement. We can demonstrate the extent of our love and devotion to Jesus by two things, either giving something extravagant for him or doing something extravagant for him. We can give something extravagant to Jesus, and we can still do that even though he's not here on earth. We can do that in a variety of ways. I'll explain in a moment. But we could also do something extravagant for him or for his cause. And it goes beyond just doing something common. It goes beyond just doing something usual. It goes beyond giving up a part of you that is just kind of ordinary see, what he did by going to the cross for you and for me, I believe demands a response from us, if we're Christ followers here, that we would give something of ourselves that's unusual, that's uncommon. This is often summed up by giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. Um, Well, we've already talked about the treasure last month. That's your financial resources and money. I'm not going to spend any time on that. Your talent is really finding out how you're shaped um, you can do that online. on Hilt, Go to hiltonheadislandcc.org, and you can take that shape assessment. We've had dozens and dozens, actually close to like 70 people have taken that uh, at our church, and we're, we're continuing to work through those and have worked through most of them. You can find out how you're shaped to do this last thing, and that is give him your time. You know, you can spend time with Jesus. You can do what Mary did. You can spend time with him. You can just spend time with him and listen. If you're a Christ follower in here, I believe that what he did on the cross really like gives us a uh, puts the onus on us to to spend time with him every day on a regular basis. But I don't want to miss what Martha was doing either. Sometimes we kind of um, take what she was doing and, and we somehow make that into something that was almost evil or wrong. She was serving the Savior. And so our time can be spent with Jesus. It can be spent serving Jesus. That's what the big give trees are about next week. That's what being involved with our community partners is all about. That's what, uh, you know, reaching your neighbors and inviting them to be a part of, of Christmas Eve service. And that dovetails into this last thing. And that is, is um, time spent sharing Jesus with your friends. You see, we, we really In our Christian culture, in our modern-day culture, our tendency is to give him the smallest that we can, to give him the leftovers. But I believe that what he did on the cross demands that we give him our first and our best. What this really amounts to is that we give him our heart. The most extravagant thing that you and I can give Jesus is the gift of our heart. When we decide to give Jesus our heart, all that we do for him and all that we give to him should be done with excellence. Our whole lives then should be lived in this, um, just this spirit of of excellence. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how our relationships are are lived out. Um, So many of these things that we just kind of muddle through life doing and without even any thought. If we were to truly abandon ourselves and truly give our heart to Jesus, we give him everything. You know, those of you who are in here who have ever been in love, you understand this, don't you? You understand this. Because when you're in love with someone, I mean, we're truly in love. I'm not talking about that like, you know, simple puppy dog kind of like, you know, like, you know, I've just had this crush on someone. I'm talking about you're in love with someone. You you give them everything, don't you? But often we we do this when it comes to our love of, of Jesus. And so my final challenge to you today is your gift to Jesus, not just financial but in every area of your life. Is your gift to Jesus um, and what you offer to him, is it something that's of excellent value or inferior value? Is what you're giving to Christ by how you live your life, is it it valuable or is it cheap? Is what you're giving to the Lord in terms of your service to him and what you do for him, is it extravagant or is it just common? I I sure don't want to end my life and get to the end of my life and um, wonder and question whether Jesus is going to look at me or God may look at me and say, hey, you know, you should have done better. Next time, show a little effort. You know, because there is no next time here on this earth. We got one shot at it. We got one shot at giving him our best And don't you think that what he did on the cross demands that you and I give up everything we are? Last week we had five people accept Jesus as their Savior. But you know, I think it's time for us as a church. It's time for you all and myself as Christ followers. Because I struggle with this just like you do. It's time for us to step up to the plate and find in our lives what we may be giving Jesus that's cheap or insignificant or common. And to begin to change that into something that's uncommon. Something that's great and valuable and extraordinary and even extravagant because He deserves it. That little baby in the manger deserves it. The Christ child deserves it. What God did on the cross, He deserves our best. He deserves our first, He deserves our best, and He deserves our excellent gift. And how we live our lives and what we do for Him and what we give. To him, Let's make this Christmas season different. Let's give it away by giving our hearts to him, everything abandoned fully to him. Father God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this great um, example of what it means to give something of high value. And what it means to give something that um, showed very little effort. God, I thank you for Mary and the gift that she gave you. God, it was a foretelling of your death to come because it was anointing oil. And it was something that they used in the embalming process. And God, I thank you um, that what she gave wasn't um, wasn't just something of material value, but it was also something of symbolic value. It symbolized the extent to which she was passionate about you. Purely passionate about you. And God, I pray that we as people when we think about the Christmas season. God, that we would change our view, that we would change our minds, that we would um, kind of change our position from um, one that the culture customs us to and kind of conditions us to where we're in a position to receive. But God, God I pray that we would be um, in a position, that we would put ourselves in a position to give Christmas away. Um, and it begins by receiving your son as our savior, but it extends to not just giving him our lives, but it really extends to giving him our hearts. And God, may we have that um, unique, optimistic, innocent, passionate approach to giving all of ourselves to you. God, I pray for those who are in here today who are Christ followers and um, maybe they've slipped a little in terms of giving you their best. Maybe they've begun to slip a little in terms of giving you everything in their life that's excellent. Maybe in their job or their careers, they've allowed things just to taper off and to, they've begun to back off in their, in their work life. Because they're discouraged, or for whatever reason. God, and I pray that you would just prompt each one of us to give you our best in our work life, in our home life, God. I just pray for those who are in here um, who maybe haven't been giving you their best in their home life as a as a husband or a wife or a parent or a son or a daughter. God, I pray that you would help us to give our best to our families. And God, for the students who are in here, I pray for them, that you would help them to give their best to you in their, in their schoolwork. God, I pray that we would be people who are ready to give this Christmas away, and that we would do that first with our lives, but secondly, with our hearts abandoned to you, ready for you to do whatever you want with us. God, I pray this all in the strong name of Jesus.